0: Hi, so Hebrews 11 uh, verses 1 to 16, it's uh, in the Pew Bibles on page 1212, Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found, because God had taken him away.
1: Well, on days like today, I praise God for the Holy Spirit and for paracetamol. Let me just get myself organized. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that we can be here. I pray, strengthen my body. And Father, minister to our hearts from your word. And as we begin this journey, Father, may your spirit be with us to guide us, to correct us, to comfort us, and to lead us forward. May we know his presence in our life as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's no doubt for me, to go on a journey is one of the exciting things of life. Some journeys are short, they're only like one or two weeks, we go on a holiday and there's a great sense of excitement, is there not, when you think about where you're going to head off to and you pick your destination and you make your bookings and I know just recently we've had a bunch of people who've been journeying across to Britain of all places Uh, and slightly envious I am as I got a text message last week from one of my guys in my small group and unbeknownst to me there he was on Twickenham and he texted me at five in the morning. Now normally I'd kind of be a bit annoyed but I thought oh man how good would it be to be there and that was before the game he's standing there a picture of him with the World Cup and these kind of things are exciting when we go on journeys and uh, you can go on long journeys. Next year Kath and myself uh, we've just worked out we're going to take some long service leave. Now I've been in the saddle as a minister for I think it's 22 years by the end of this year and the bishop locally the bishop archbishop they've both spoken to me and said Bruce you must go away Uh, I now hold the record as the minister with the second most long service leave in the diocese of Sydney and uh, they've been telling me you've got to take some time off so we actually have planned to go uh, term two next year and we're looking forward to it and our daughter now Rebecca lives in London and there's a great deal of excitement and uh, whenever I see Kath uh, just kind of having a spare moment she's there googling things to do in London things to do in Paris and uh, you know you get excited and you go on a journey. Some journeys, though, um, are not like holidays. They're quite profound in terms of the impact they have on us. Um, they're what you might call identity altering, country changing. And I know we've got numbers of people here who've journeyed to Australia from around the globe. And you may have come here because your company told you that you are going to go now work in Australia. and I know we've got people who are like that. Uh, We've got others who just thought, why on earth would you live in Britain when you can live in Australia? And so they've come out here and they've realised that this was the best thing they could ever do. And uh, I love one of the comments from one of them when they went back recently and there was tears about leaving and the question came, do you want to stay? And they snapped out of it and said, no, of course not. (laughs) And many of the people who come out here end up becoming Australian citizens. And I wondered this morning, who here has come to Australia from another country? Just put your hand up. Now, have a look around and just see how many people there are. Uh, It was the same at 8 o'clock. And I think this is typical of Manly. Uh, It kind of attracts people from around the world. How many of those have actually become Australian citizens? Lots of them, yeah, because we love it here. And so these are some of the journeys we go on. There's a whole sense of identity change. But yet some journeys are very dangerous. And leaving the politicisation of this issue aside, you think about what drives a person to jump on a leaky boat to part with all their worldly wealth because they think they might have a chance to escape and find a better country. Incredibly dangerous. And it's driven by a great sense of desperation you think about the current crisis with Syria and the journey that some people are on. They literally are leaving everything as they flee persecution, violence, war and they try and find anywhere but where they currently are to live, where it might be safe. And I know as a church we want to partner with other churches in the diocese to welcome refugees fleeing from Syria. Uh, If I'm well enough, I'll be at Synod over the next two weeks. And one of the big issues that will be addressed by our Archbishop on is how we can help as churches to welcome Syrian refugees. Uh, You may not know this, but of the 12,000 refugees coming to Australia, 7,000 are coming to New South Wales. And we want to be on the front foot as the church to say we can help because we want to love people. But there's another journey That is life-changing. And it's a journey that can start at various times in people's lives. Some people actually can never remember a time when they were not on this journey. They've always been on the journey. Uh, Other people join the journey very late. In fact, I know a person, a man, who joined the journey at age 100. I kid you not, I'm thinking that's a bit late to get on board the bus, man. But anyway, he made it on. I think he died in that 100th year. And it's a journey that is exciting, but yet it's also dangerous, it's costly. It's a journey where you don't travel alone. Rather, you travel with friends, you travel with family. And it's kind of like one big, massive trekking group. Now, there's kind of a myriad of subgroupings in this massive group, but actually we're all on the same trail as we journey forward. And there's a guidebook that directs your steps, and not just a guidebook, but a guide who is with you through thick and thin, through good times and bad, easy times and dangerous ones. Now, you cannot see this guide, but he's there before you, he's there ahead of you, he's there beside you, he's there with you. And you see, to be a Christian is many things, but at heart, it's to be someone who is called to come home and to come home to the Father God. You see, that is who we are as Christians. We are people who are on a journey home. And that journey could be described as walking with God back home. And it is really quite a profound journey. I've seen people's lives people who are heading for ruin and destruction in this world, turned around and redeemed when they've joined this journey. I've seen proud and arrogant people, self-made people, who've been humbled and brought to their knees and have joined the throng of many who journey home to the Father and who now walk with humility. Humility. I've seen people who are down and depressed given purpose and joy in life as they've got on the path of life. It's the journey of walking with God home and we start this series today and the passage we're going to look at is Hebrews chapter 11. I'd love you to open up because it is a great passage to look at. It's on page 1212, it's kind of like a sound check, 1212, got it? And I chose this passage because it addressed a group of followers in the Lord Jesus who'd been journeying as Christians for quite some time. And they'd had quite an eventful journey when you read through the book of Hebrews. It cost them much. They were tired. They were weary. And no doubt there's issues that had arisen in their understanding of what the journey meant, the nature of it. They were tempted to give up and not get to the end. And we come to chapter 11 in this great book of encouragement or exhortation. And there's two massive things that this chapter, which is all about faith, wants to say to us. And if I can put it in one sentence, it's this. uh, To walk with God is a relationship of faith on a journey home to heaven. To walk with God is a relationship of faith on a journey to heaven. And while there's more things that we could say, I just want us to look at these two things. Walking with God, firstly, is a relationship of faith. Now, Christians, by definition, are people of faith. We believe something. We have faith. But what is faith? Uh, It's worth saying Christian faith has many elements to it. And you could define it in many ways. It can indicate the way that we believe. You see, to have Christian faith, saving faith, is to trust in a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the way that we believe. Uh, But Christian faith can also be the faith. Now, we don't often recite the creed here. We do when we have baptisms. At eight o'clock, we recite every week. And the creed is a statement of faith. And in particular, it's a statement of faith in what we believe about our God that He father son and holy spirit but the interest here in hebrews is different it's about what faith means on the journey to heaven And there's a number of things here that it instructs us at faith in this great chapter of faith firstly as we think about walking with god as a relationship of faith faith is confidence in god's word you're very kind scotty thank you Faith is confidence in God's word. Have a look at verse 1, the way the chapter opens. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. When the writer to the Hebrews opens this magnificent document up, he writes this way. This is the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. God is a speaking God, spoken in all sorts of ways. But he says in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. And you see, the Son of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the object of our faith. And because of that, our faith is confident. Our faith is assured. You see, Christian faith is not just kind of, stepping out into the darkness, wondering, is there anyone out there? No, Christian faith is about stepping into the arms of the Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a faith that has confidence. It's based on the revelation of Jesus Christ, who has entered history, who has died at Calvary and who has risen bodily from the dead. And I love this verse. You see, we have a faith that is confident in what we hope for and it's assured about what we do not see. Now, the nature of faith is we are believing in things that we cannot see. But yet we are still confident. We are assured Because this word has entered history, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Christian journey is a journey of walking with God by faith. And we walk on a path that is very real, yet not actually visible to the naked eye. And Hebrews says to us, faith is being confident in what we hope for. You see, this is the nature of what it means to walk with God. By faith, we get up every day believing and following the God who has revealed himself to us. And by faith, we know we are coming home to the Father because we know the Son has saved us and because we actually know the reality of his Holy Spirit with us. He is the guide, the comforter, the counsellor. You see, when you read on, you see that this faith that is confident actually wins God's approval. This is the second thing about faith. Have a look at verse 2. You see, this faith, this is what the ancients were commended for. And what he's saying is uh, the ancients, Moses, Abraham, Enoch, all the great saints, they were commended for this. They believed the word of God. They couldn't see God, but they heard God speak, and they believed that word, and they went forward in obedience, confident, assured. And verse 6 says... Actually, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Walking with God does require faith. You actually have to believe He's there. But the great promise is this. As we come to Him, believing He exists, and it may be for some of us that you feel weak and not so confident, but as you believe He exists and you come to Him, what verse 6 says is this, He will reward those who earnestly seek Him. He'll bless those who seek Him. You see, faith wins God's approval. He commends us. He rewards us and it will bring great blessing. But thirdly, faith recognises the power of God. Have a look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The Christian faith is a faith in a God who has brought everything out of nothing. Now, this is not to make a comment on how that happened. Was it seven days? Was it seven billion? You'll know Christians have debated that. But it is to say that in the beginning, there was God and there was no other. God was there for all eternity. He is from eternity to eternity. And in the beginning, God existed and out of love, he made everything. He spoke And it came into being. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there from the beginning. And this world is an outworking of his creative and powerful word. He speaks and the world came to be. So let me put those three things together. That faith has been confident. That faith will be blessed. And that faith recognizes God's power. And think about it in the context of what it means to walk with God. You see, for me, what it says is this. is um, The Christian faith is inherently relational. And God has found me and is calling me home to the Father. And he is with me every day. And so when people say to me, good luck, you may have heard this from me. I'll actually say to you. I don't believe in luck. I don't. I don't think it's a Christian way of understanding the world. To believe in luck is to believe that this world is random and it's a product of chance happenings. But that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a God who has made us, who loves us, who is calling us home, who we have confidence in, And who says, I'll reward you as you trusted me. And I will bless you. Now, there's no luck. Random occurrences actually are all part of God's plan. Now, if you come into my office and drop in, I'll say to myself, here's a little thing I'll say. Why has God brought you here? When blessings happen, it's not good luck. It's because God is ruling over everything. When chance happenings happen, we actually need to realize that God is sovereignly at work. And so when things happen, I say to myself, well, God meant this to happen. God is in charge of this happening. Now, what about when things go pear-shaped? Because the reality is in this world, there is sin, there is sickness, there is evil, there is disaster, there is heartache, there is suffering. I say to myself, our God is actually still in charge. And Romans 8 says he is working all things out for good for those who love him. What about when evil occurs? I pray to God, God, you know what is taking place. (coughs) And I know that one day you will right this wrong. Can you please... Bring relief here. As we go through this series, one of the things we're going to look at is prayer because, you see, it's such an important part of our walk with God that we can actually call upon God in our time of need and experience the reality of His presence and His guidance and His blessing in our life, even in the midst of suffering and darkness and sickness and evil. Now God is in charge. And we must be confident of that. And our, comf- our confidence is founded in the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself suffered the most atrocious evil, so that we can ultimately be redeemed from it. You see, every day is a new day to walk with God, and faith is the key being confident that he's in charge, knowing that he wants to bless us as we believe and trust him, taking his word as true and trustworthy and seeking to live by it. There's no doubt there's parts of the Bible that you will wrestle with. I wrestle with parts of the Bible. But ultimately I say, actually, you're God and I'm not. (coughs) There's something wrong with the Bible if I agree with it all. It's probably a human document at that level if it doesn't challenge me about my perception of reality and who God is and what it means to follow Him. You see, that's the nature of God. He will challenge us in our weakness and in our sin. And so as I walk with God and as I read His Word and it challenges me, I have to say, God, You are God. I believe You, even though I may struggle with that. So walking with God is a relationship of faith from first to last as the Father calls us home. Which leads me to the second point, walking with God is a relationship of faith on a journey to heaven. And you see the thing secondly to note about this chapter 11 of Hebrews is that it's a roll call for the great saints of the Old Testament. It's the hall of fame you might say for the people of faith. And if their faith in God is what defined them, then it's their destination that united them. All of them believed that they were traveling to a better promised land. And I'll pick up the reading in verse 8 with Abraham. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and they welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. You see, if they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, well, they would have had opportunity to return. They could have all gone back. Is what the writer is saying. But no, instead, what were they longing for? They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He's prepared a city for them. Let's look at Abraham, this great man of faith. You see, his faith was responsive. The word of God came to him in chapter 12 of Genesis. And when God spoke, he obeyed, he went. He had a faith that responded to the word of God and his faith was sacrificial. You may or may not know this. He was a very wealthy man who had much. But the call of God came and he just upped and left with his family and he left it all behind, confident that God would look after him. His faith was courageous. He didn't even know where he was going. There was no Google Maps in those days to do a web search and find out actually where is this place, Lord? I'd like to find out a little bit before I know, before I go. Incredibly courageous. And it was his faith that took him on a journey to the promised land. Now for Abraham, that land was what we now call Israel. And God promised in Genesis chapter 12 that he would give him land There'd be offspring as numerous as the sand on the seashore and there would be blessing. you just got to get up and go. And he went. And what united Abraham and all these other great ones of the Old Testament mentioned here, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, the prophets, well, they were all journeying to the same place, the promised land, the city of God. And none of them made it in the sense of They never got there in this lifetime. But what defined them was, as they walked with God, was that they longed for a better place. They longed for a heavenly home. They longed for the city of God. And though they made it to the land of Israel, they realized later on that final and true rest had not yet come. But they were not ashamed To be called people who followed the living God. And as you read through Scripture, this is the deep movement of the story of Scripture. The story of the Bible starts in a garden. I'm sure you're all aware of that with Adam and Eve. The story of Scripture finishes, though, in a city. It's the city of God, it's the new heaven, it's the new earth. And you see, this is the overarching narrative arc of Scripture. And Adam and Eve tossed out of the garden. The rest of the story is a story of redemption. Of the Father coming to find and redeem and call his people home. To the final destination that scripture upholds to us, which is the city of God. And you see, that is the journey that we're on. Towards a new heaven and a new earth. A place where there is no sickness, where the suffering is gone, the evil is dealt with. And I was thinking about this as we live here in Manly Serving God. It seems hard to imagine that there's somewhere better to live than here, doesn't it? When you get up at six or seven and you walk down the beachfront, and the wind is offshore, and the sea is blue, and life seems so good. And we think it'll go on forever. But you see, this place manly is not the city of God. And our time here won't last forever. One day, all of us will die and pass into eternity. The most sobering reminder of that for me is that every month, funerals come in. And they remind us of our mortality. And so the question must be, actually, where are you journeying as you walk with God? Is it that you're journeying to come home to the Father in heaven? Or is it that you're on a journey away from God? So the place, Jesus said, would be filled with people weeping and gnashing their teeth in regret when they realize too late that all they have lived for has been taken away. I went to the movies last week with my wife, Kath, and uh, we went and saw the movie Everest. It's a uh, very good movie. It's an adventure movie. It's a true story. It's a true story of the tragedy that took place on the mountain in 1996 when an extreme storm event hit just hours after two teams had summited the mountain and eight of them died. It's a very moving story as you start to meet and get inside the lives of the different people as they journeyed to the summit. And what was significant was that everyone had one focus, it was to reach the summit. And they had sacrificed much, they'd trained much, they'd prepared much. And they gave their everything in order to make it to the summit. The summit even cost them their lives. And I couldn't help but think of us as Christians in comparison as by faith we walk on this journey with the Father to come home. To what extent do we train? (coughs) To what extent do we focus To what extent are we prepared to sacrifice? To what extent are we preparing ourselves to come home to the Father in the city of God? When you look at your life today, I want to ask you the question, where are you journeying? How is your walk with God? That's what we're looking at this term. And I want to stop now and invite you to respond. Will you take a walk with God this term? Will you go on a journey of seven weeks with Him? And the journey looks like this. It's about picking up the Word of God every day using the devotional book to ask God to speak you speak to you about your walk with him and the journey you're on with him and allowing his word to guide you and comfort you and correct you and rebuke you and train you and encourage you because that's the journey we want to be on as we think about areas of our heart and worship and contentment and joy and community and holiness and prayer and dependence and mission, all vital parts of our walk with God. And so I want to invite you now to actually come up if you want to be part of this journey and to walk through this door, symbolic of the fact that you're going to go on a journey with God together with the congregation. And I want to invite you to come up to the sanctuary and actually kneel. And pray a prayer of dedication. And I'm not sure what your prayer will be. But what I want you to do is reflect before you come, what is it that you need to pray so that you might grow deeper and closer to God in your walk with Him? There may be particular issues that you think, boy, if in the next seven weeks God could help me with that, that'd be fantastic. It may be that there's some physical illness that you think I need healing for. I don't know what it is. It may be that you've got great issues at home. It may be that you just feel dry and you think, God, I want you to come alive in my life again. Whatever it is, I want to invite you on the journey as we look at these topics and come forward and receive a booklet and come to the rail and pray. And our prayer team is going to be up In the sanctuary, and if you'd like someone just to pray for you because you think I'm not quite sure what to pray, or I just would love someone to pray for me, just put your hand up and our prayer team would love to pray for you. And so I'm going to go forward and pray now. I'm going to invite the prayer team to follow me and they're going to come up and pray. And if you'd like them to pray for you, just put your hand up and tell them what you'd like to be prayed for. And the band's going to come up and they're going to join in, they're going to come and sing some songs while we're all coming up. It's going to take a while. I really don't care because this is too important because I really want us to go on a journey this term with God walking with him so I invite you to come and join me on this journey